It's the Stinkin' Truth Podcast with Mark Schlereth, presented by Core Water. Hey, welcome in, Stinkin' Truth Podcast. After a uh, week-long vacation, we are back. I am Mark Schlereth, along with Mike Evans, Scott DeHuff, producing the show. I'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, the fine folks over at Core Water. Check them out at hydratewithcore.com. I'm telling you, this anywhere water is sold, you can get it, I mean, at a store. Like, there's all kinds of stores, whether it's Walmart or 7-Eleven or, you know, any of your grocery stores, the one with the big blue cap. Um, I'm telling you what, crisp, clean taste in water, award-winning water, perfectly pH balanced at 7.4 to make your, uh, or to match your body's pH balance. There's also the core, I don't know if you've had these, they're uh, the flavored waters, like no sugar, only like four calories. They are delicious. And uh, they should bottle and sell them. I think they do, but they should. If they don't, I mean, they, they do. just they do. Okay, so I've never bought them because the core just delivers them to my house. Oh wait, did they not deliver to your guys' house? Yeah, we. I mean, still waiting. Theoretically, they should deliver. Sure, them to Mark my was house. like, "Hey, look, just send them all to my house, and I'll make sure the guys see it. I'll distribute them to the fellas." Um, I am so thirsty. These are delicious. That you guys have never seen them. Yeah, so they do sell them. Um, but you can find out yes, where I they buy sell. mine. Yes, I get mine for free. Uh, HydrateWithCore.com is where you want to go to get those uh, uh, just delicious bottles of water. You know, it's funny. You mentioned that we took the week off. Yes. Which, you know, theoretically, why, why, why shouldn't we be like the rest of the NFL? This is their vacation time. But yet, even during their vacation, this is a league that just continues to churn out news, doesn't it? It's a 365-day-a-year beast that has to be fed. The NFL is incredible that way. Isn't They've it? done like I. You can sit here and be critical of a lot of things, and there's a lot of things they deserve criticism for. But the bottom line is, and and I don't know if they just stepped in poop and came out smelling like a rose. Like I think sometimes that happens because they're kind of coated in Teflon. Um, but like they have created this urgency, even when. Mm, there's not really any urgency. Like it, it just is. It, it it has become something that you have to die. You want ratings? You 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 talk about the NFL three sixty five a year. Well, here's a perfect example. At a time where it's supposed to be slow, what's making news? The idea that Aaron Rodgers and Matt Lafleur aren't getting along. That they're not seeing eye to eye. That Lafleur says, "Hey, I come from the Kyle Shanahan." type offense mm-hmm. where the idea is is that most of the time you run what's called and a guy like Aaron Rodgers is like wait a minute you're going to ask me to basically turn my back on 11 years of knowledge and not give me the freedom to be able to go up there and, and call what I see fit right I mean do we already have a rift in in Green Bay yeah you know what's what's really interesting about this to me is that um I think the way that that West Coast, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan, Bill Walsh, I mean, if you look at the tree, it starts with Bill Walsh. You know, Shanahan won championships running the offense. You look at Andy Reid as part of that. John Gruden as part of that. You know, Mike McCarthy to some degree part of that. Like like all these different trees. What Kyle Shanahan has done in the league as a coordinator with Cleveland and with Washington and with and, – and it all – it all evolves and changes based on personnel and based on strengths and weaknesses and all that stuff. But the bottom line, the way that offense works is there's essentially 
there's essentially the call it play, and then there's the check play based upon what you get from the defensive perspective. Now, here's what I love about it, Mike, is all 11 players are privy to that information. All 11 players have been in the game plan meeting. So when we call a play in that particular style of offense, right, we all walk up the line of scrimmage. And if we get what we want, if we see what we want, if the defense presents itself the way we think it's going to present itself, then you're licking your chops because you're like, we've got a we've got an advantage here. We've got whether it's a, we're running to a certain side, we're running to a bubble look, we're running to the reduction look, we're like whatever it is, like we've got what we want them. We've got these guys where we want them. We're running a play action pass and they're down on the eight man front. And we're like, yes. We know what we're getting. We're getting single high safety, meaning single high safety. They're going to either play one or three. That's all they can play. And we know that we've got one and three beaters. Like we're going we're gonna to gut these guys, right? And if we don't get what we want, we have a check to play, essentially, that's, that we're going to run. And so the theory behind it is, is that all 11 guys know what's coming. All 11 guys have prepped. All 11 guys are seeing the same thing. And now there's no, there's, there's, even though if you go through the gyrations, you go through the hand signals and stuff, and you may change some routes. But the bottom line is we're all, we're all privy to it. We're all ready to go. Yeah, the, that- the issue, the, oh, let me just interrupt you. The issue that I always have with, let, let's just take it to the Peyton Manning offense, where, hey, let's just go up the line of scrimmage, guys, and let me see what I see, and then I'm going to make a call. Like, there is, there is um, value in lining up, going on a quick count, and just trying to scramble somebody's brains. Like that, there's value in that. There's value in wearing people down. There's value in beating people up. Like that, 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 there's value in that. And it's hard to do when the quarterback goes, guys, I'm going to be in shotgun and I'm just going to survey the defense and you sit there in your stance for 30 seconds while I decide what we're going to run. Like that doesn't lend itself to physically dominating people. And I think there's huge value in physically dominating people. Can't really argue that with Peyton Manning's methods or results. Well, you, you can come playoff time. I mean, you think about it. Peyton Manning... Peyton Manning won two Super Bowls, one in Denver that really is credited to the defense. Correct. And then one in in Indianapolis where he played the Chicago Bears and Rex freaking Grossman. And he really didn't even have that good a game. I mean, look at the stats. No, you're right. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, considered the best and most talented quarterback in the National Football League for the last, what, 10 years? When you say, hey, who's the best quarterback in the NFL, and you talk to you know people who analyze the game or coaches, hands down, you're you like now you'll get you'll get Brady because of the championships, but when it comes down to just pure talent and ability and and you know and what he's done, it was hands down Aaron Rodgers for ten straight years. He won one. Tom Brady never considered the most talented quarterback. He runs a similar system in that, you know, they run a ton of call it and run it plays. And yeah, he gets to he gets like there's a lot of that. Hey, if we get this look, this is what we're checking to, right? A lot of that game plan stuff 
with Josh McDaniels. Uh, he's only been to nine in 18 years and won six of them. I get the idea that there's value in, in, in during the week, putting together a game plan, having different alternatives. But it just seems to me that you're not totally tapping into a valuable resource if you take even a guy like Aaron Rodgers and say, well, unless we went over it during practice in the week, it's not something we're going to call. So you're taking away the ability of Aaron Rodgers and everything mm-hmm. he knows to go up to the line of scrimmage. And now, by the way, by the, this is with the idea that your vaunted game plan that you worked on all week isn't yielding much results. It's midway third quarter, and you're down, you know, sure. seventeen to seven, and your offense isn't working. Now, why why not tap into? Right. I got Aaron Rodgers. I got Tom Brady. I got whomever. Allow them the freedom. And 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 put the onus on the other guys on offense sure. that you, you better know the play. Well, it's in the playbook. You right. better know the damn play. And I think this is what we're going to run. I think there's some value in that situationally. Like I think a lot of times when things aren't working, sometimes you'll see coaches in the middle of the third quarter go into the two minute, you know, go into hurry up offense, and then let the quarterback operate and hurry up, and it changes the tempo of the game, you know, and it, and it, it, it does all those things. But again. It puts a, an incredible amount of stress on the guys up front if we're going to go hurry up two minutes because you basically eliminate you know eliminate half your playbook you eliminate the runs or forty percent of your playbook whatever you know most teams are are throwing it about sixty five seventy percent of the time so let's call it thirty five percent of your playbook is just you know you just kick it to the curb and so you put undue stress so I think there's room for it Mike I think you can minor in it. But I also think there's that you have to be able to understand at the quarterback position, you have to understand what's good for all of us, not just what's best for me. Like what is good for all of us? And I think you have to look at it that way. And and you know, again, here we go though, with uh, you know, the Ode of McVay and the the young coach and this guy brushed up against Sean McVay, so he must be bright and he must be intelligent and and it's the new way and young guys can communicate with players and and I've always said you can either communicate or you can't. I don't care if you're young, you're old, there's nobody that communicates with his players any better than Wade Phillips. I've never seen anybody more connected than seventy five or seventy six year old or whatever he is, Wade Phillips, with his guys. Like his guys like like Akeep Talib is like Akeep Talib is as connected with Wade Phillips as I've ever seen any player connected to the coach. All right, so while Aaron Rodgers finds himself embroiled in a little bit of controversy, it's chill, it's controversy free for Ben Roethlisberger. Mm. Said that he's feeling a sense of normalcy that he hasn't felt in years. It's all it. All it took was getting rid of his two best playmakers to make him feel normal again. Yeah, and, and and like I will say this, Ben has been at the center of his own controversy on several different occasions. Like he can be a little bit of his own worst enemy, but you know, having it it'll be a really interesting There'll be a real interesting vibe. This will be a really interesting season. There's so many questions. Like, can um, Smith-Schuster, can he be an elite, legit number one? Because I've seen this before, Mike. I, I remember back when the Buffalo Bills, if you remember, they had Eric Moulds. 
I believe it was Eric Moles yeah. and Peerless Price. Yes. Right? And they were, I mean, they were eating up the NFL, those two receivers, right? And Peerless Price became a free agent and had the opportunity. Peerless Price was, he went to, you know, Tennessee with Peyton Manning. I think he was Peyton Manning's kind of right hand, you know, his go-to receiver, right? And Peerless Price got the opportunity to be the number one in Atlanta. You remember he signed a big deal with Atlanta to be the number one, and then he he quickly kind of disappeared when he became that number one guy. There's a big difference between putting up big numbers and becoming a a big-time target when you're opposite Antonio Brown. Because you know when coverage gets rolled and you know when when they're game planning, they're not game planning to take you away. They're game planning to take Antonio Brown away. Like you're getting the number two corner and or the number three corner and you're getting one-on-one the majority of the time where Antonio Brown is getting the coverage. So it'll be really interesting to see exactly how that it goes. It'll be really interesting to see, to me, Mike Tomlin and how Mike Tomlin recovers. Because I think this is I think this is a big litmus test year for Mike Tomlin. I think Mike Tomlin has forever, um, one of his organizational mantras, and this has been explained to me by uh, like a bunch of different guys, like Jerome Bettis and, and a, a guy like uh, James Harrison, he says this all the time. I'm going to put up with it until I can replace it. Well, you you can't replace the production of Antonio Brown or or Le'Veon Bell or you know some of your superstars. So we shall see if he changes his organizational mantra and starts holding people accountable. So this is a big year for them. But I think I still think all the hype with Cleveland. Like I'm at a golf tournament with Drew Stanton. Drew Stanton is the backup quarterback to Baker Mayfield. And so he's like, like the expectations are like he's just like they're unreal. Like we were a seven and nine team, and he goes, you know, we we were just talking, like we we're just talking in, in general about the team. He goes, like I go, I I covered you guys last year. I did a game. You guys were as talented as any team I covered. And he goes, the talent is not the question, but can we be good? Like can we can we meet expectations? There's there's a lot of stuff going on. So you look at all the talent that they have. They have a ton of talent, but you understand that it's more than just talent that makes you a good team. I look at I look at this division. Everybody's got the the you know the Cleveland Browns as a Super Bowl you know a Super Bowl darling. Like I don't know that they win their division, Mike. I, I still think Steelers win this division. I think the Steelers are in a great position. Great position. Some of the craziness is gone. They don't have as big a bullseye on their back as they've had before. It, mm-hmm. It's it. You know, in many cases, they can play the "Hey, nobody believes in us" card. Right. You know, it's us against the world. Everyone's on. You know, everyone's on the Browns bandwagon. Oh, what was us? Huh? The Steelers. What do we have to play for? Right. I think they can really, maybe for the first time in a long time, really tap into that. You know, we're talking or about almost sneak up on people. Exactly. A bit. The Steelers. Who would ever think of it? Right. Now we're talking about guys like Rodgers. Big Ben, you know, certainly guys that are established. It, it's fun to watch this next crop of young quarterbacks, and who do you think is going to really burst through out of that that group? And Carson Wentz just got paid about thirty two million per season, and uh, no less an authority than Michael Irvin is saying that Dak Prescott needs to be paid even more. Should he be? Um, I mean, does he belong in that? Thirty million plus category. I think I I like Dak. I'm a I'm a Dak Prescott fan. I like Dak Prescott. 
like, do I think he should be paid $30 million? I like. Here's the thing I think that's interesting about the Philadelphia Eagles and what they ended up doing here. I think they were proactive, and I think that's a great thing. You look at Carson Wentz, and obviously the last two years have ended in season-ending injuries. But you look at what he did that, you know, 14, 13 weeks leading up to that world championship run that Nick Foles took him on. He was a legit MVP candidate. Now, he came back from the ACL last year, struggled a little bit, then he ended up hurting his back. But I still look at them, and I still think that Carson Wentz is a guy that potentially could be great. Here's the issue that I have with Carson Wentz. Like, you are going to have to understand that your default mechanism, when things break down, has got to remain from the neck down. It can't be a neck up because you can't keep yourself healthy. Matthew Stafford is a guy in his first two years with the Detroit Lions, I think he I think he started like 13 games, and people were calling him a China doll. And since that time, he hasn't missed a game. Even it was just released that he was playing with a – he had fractures in his back last year, the last part of the season. And he hasn't missed a game since. So I think you have to start to learn at some point that, hey, athleticism is great, but I cannot – I can't use athleticism as my default mechanism. It's got to be from the neck up. So I think eventually Dak, like I think they need to be proactive in Dallas with Dak as well. Well, you you, you can only look at the numbers right now between the two of them. And, and what stands out to me is that Wentz, with a smaller sample size, but that's because of injuries, mm-hmm. you know, say Dak at least has some durability going right. for him that, that Car- Carson Wentz doesn't. But you go back to that year that you're talking about where Wentz was such a legitimate MVP candidate before he got hurt. 11 games, Mark, he threw for 3,300 yards and 33 touchdowns. Right. Dak Prescott in three years of of solid, you know, every game, game in, game out starting, hasn't cracked 4,000 yards and is basically 22, 23 touchdown passes. So... I like right. Dak Prescott. I think Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. I think you can win with Dak Prescott, but just because you're a quarterback, a starting quarterback in the NFL and your contract is up does not mean you automatically jump to the head of the line and reestablish right. the market. Yeah, I, I I totally agree with that. I think Dak is kind of a unique situation also because I think you have to take in consideration um, how many rushing touchdowns he has, how their offense changes in the red zone, how they really have been an offense that's predicated one on running the football between behind one of the great offensive lines and and you know and and um and Zeke Elliott. So I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Doug Peterson is a guy that has to be reminded, hey Doug, run the ball. Like I I, I did a Eagles game a couple of years ago and they had just come out of game they lost and they had run the ball, I think I think they'd run the ball like four times in the game. And I told we, Doug and I were joking around. I go, you know, if I was playing for you, Doug, we'd fight, right? <laughs> I go, you understand that, right? And he just laughed. He goes, I know, I know. Like he goes, trust me, I heard it from my old line. It'll be different today. He goes, it's gonna be different. He goes, sometimes I get caught up in you know the fun of designing, you know, play action and designing the plays and and throwing the ball. And he goes, I've got to be more balanced. That that's on me, one hundred percent. And then they went on that run that ended up ending in a – that was the year they won the world championship. They, they they ended up going on a run to win it, and it was running back by committee to be sure, and they were still pass heavy, but he did a much better job of, you know, of 
over the course of that season of being a little bit more balanced. You know, running back by committee, I we never thought we'd see that, but we saw it at the end of the year with the Rams. They had become a running back by committee because of Todd Gurley's health, which never really got totally explained, I, I think, to everybody. Mm-hmm. There wasn't co- complete transparency, but here we are several months later, and Gurley's agent is coming out and talking about, you know, he's got a, a bit of an arthritic knee and right. things like that. And is, is this just another example of a position that churns these guys up and spits them out? Running backs. Yeah, I think I think the funny thing about that was it his agent, was it a, a doctor, was it his trainer said, yeah, there's he's dealing with some a bit of an arthritic knee. And I'm like, hey, welcome to playing in the NFL. There's not a guy in the NFL that doesn't have some degenerative changes in all his joints. I mean, that's that's the NFL. You just got to be able to manage yeah, that. Yeah, but to be a world-class running back while dealing with that kind of stuff? Abs- absolutely. You think Willis McGahee didn't have you know, arthritic changes in his knee? You don't think – remember remember Terry Allen tore his ACL like three times and still you – know, like, uh, of co- how, about, how about Frank Gore? Frank Gore, one of the great running backs that's ever played in this league, he had de- devastating knee injury and came back and, and has like played for 14, 15 years, whatever it is. So everybody, it's about managing it. But it's you're about- acknowledging it does take – it automatically takes something away from you. Now, some Abs- guys Abs- are able to adjust right. and almost reinvent, but what you're Absolutely. acknowledging here is that Gurley's not going to be the same. Well, I here the deal is I think Gurley – at the beginning of the last season, I think Gurley had degenerative changes. I think Gurley, since he tore his ACL at Georgia, I think Gurley has. Like, here's the thing, and it always pisses me off. Anytime a doctor performs surgery on the player, like they come out of they come out of the surgery and they oh man, it was successful surgery. Like <laughs> I was spot on in there. It was amazing. You should have seen me. Should have been filmed. I was great. Or it, was and, a mi- or it was a minor procedure. Right. I know that guys like you love that, too. Yeah, my minor procedure. Yeah, as long as it's on me, it's minor. If it's on you, it's major deal, right? But minor procedure. But here's the deal with that, which which always has pissed me off. It, it basically puts the onus back on the player. You got hurt. Now it's your job to rehab. And if you don't rehab, it had nothing to do with me. It's all you. I fixed you. Right. I fixed it. It was perfect. I was amazing. And, and the bottom line is, I try to tell guys this all the time, is that you're forever altered. If you have an ACL reconstruction, you're forever altered. And there are going to be arthritic and degenerative changes that you can't do anything about. So to sit here and act like Todd Gurley for the first 12 weeks of the season didn't have degenerative changes is asinine. He was in the MVP conversation for the first 12 games. All of a sudden, after 12 games, or 11 games, all of a sudden, bam, arthritic changes. Oh, I can't walk anymore. Like, how stupid is that? He had an injury that they didn't disclose, that they didn't talk about. He had something else going on in that knee that hampered him to the the point of ineffectiveness. Now, do I think he'll bounce? I think he'll bounce back. I think he's had I, I think he's dealt with it. I think he's rehabbed. I think like I think there's a lot of things. But to act like he didn't have the same thing going on, the same degenerative changes at the beginning of the season, and all of a sudden in week twelve, it just, you know, jumped up and bit him like uh, you know, a, a snake laying in the grass is is stupidity to me. Of course he's had that. And and he dealt with it just fine early. Something helped happened where he 
you know, he did something. I don't know if it's a bone bruise. I don't know what it is, Mike, but something happened. And I'm sure they've dealt with it accordingly. But here's what happens in the NFL. When you're hiding injuries, and it happens all the time, then all of a sudden, when a guy stops performing, now you put yourself in a bind. Because you can't get go back and say, yeah, well, you, he, he heard it three weeks ago. Because now all of a sudden, you're going to get fined as an organization for, for not disclosing an injury, not putting him on the injury report. And then at, at some point, if it's bad enough, they're going to start taking draft picks away from you. So now you've kind of really put yourself between a rock and a hard spot, trying to protect the integrity of the player, trying to make sure that people don't go after him, you know, all those kind of things. So it's a it's a kind of a fine cat and mouse game they play in the NFL. And I've had coaches all the time tell me, hey, don't tell anybody, but this guy's been hurt for three weeks. We've done four MRIs, but we never put him on the injury report. You know, so you can't say anything. You can talk about, you know, the broadcast, but you can't say that we didn't report it because we'll get in. And I've had I've had teams tell me that. That's the way it goes. And and so, do I think he'll bounce? I think he'll bounce back. I think he'll be, but I think they'll do a better job of managing him over the course of a season. Matter of fact, I called week two, and he was out of practice in several periods, just riding the stationary bike on the on the on the side. So they were managing him week two last year. So to to think that the, the all of a sudden arthritic changes have occurred, you know, after week twelve, is it's mind boggling. It's mind bogglingly stupid. Yep, boy, that, I did. Spit you got that? that. Out. I, it's a, I almost impressed myself. Nicely done. Thank you. Nicely done. See, here we go. I mean, middle of the summer, teams oh. are on vacation. Right. Twenty five, thirty minutes of stuff to talk about, and we still got more to do here as we. Move ahead. Yes, and you guys um, out there, seriously, we'd like to thank Core Water. You two should buy some. I've got a bunch of free Core Water that I'm going to drink <laughs> when I get home, but you two should go out and buy some because it is delicious. <laughs> Try the flavored Core. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, Scott, you buy it, right? I buy it every morning. Yeah, yeah, he's got Hard one right money. there. That one has the green cap on it. Kinda Just the flavor. regular water has the big blue cap. Ooh, well, is that the berry? That's a uh, Pomegranate, pomegranate blue. How you say that? Acai? 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 Acai. Acai? No, it's not a kai. Acai? Acai! All right, anyhow, that's cool water. It's, hey, the ice. It tastes good. It tastes delicious. Thanks for listening to the uh, Stinky Truth Podcast. We'll be back with you next week.